1 Kings, and we're going to look at, again, responding to the challenges of old age. That's our uh, theme here. And we're, I hope to lead us through some messages through the book of Kings, maybe, maybe Second Kings also. And through the book of Kings and Second Kings, you see what I would call adventures of the kings and prophets, okay? Sometimes those kings are doing well and the prophets are saying what they're saying. And then other times the prophets are speaking against the king and the king's trying to duck and hide or go against him. And it's kind of an interesting dynamic as you read through the kings to watch those adventures <laughs> with the prophets and those kings themselves. So I, I've been blessed by it. I think about the first, I don't know, 11 or 12 chapters are about Solomon. And so we'll be looking at him. I don't know that we'll go to every single verse, every single chapter. I want to at least give you a survey of some of it. So look, tonight, responding to the challenges of old age, I, I, I didn't have any PowerPoint at all. And I didn't ask me like 20 minutes before the service, and I don't have anything. He goes, well, I can give you something. I was, so I threw out my title, my text, my points. And he puts up rocks to remind us some of us are old as dirt, you know. <laughs> That's okay, Aiden. It's fine. I thought it was kind of funny. I don't know if you were thinking that way, but yeah, it's almost black and white too, you know. Okay, so here's a lot. So if you notice, our text of our subject comes from all of chapter one and part of chapter two. We're not going to read all of that right now. Uh, let's just read the last part of chapter two. Well, actually, look at the first verse in chapter one, verse one. Look at the first verse. It sets the tone for what we're speaking about. Look at this, 1 Kings 1, verse 1. It starts out saying something about David. Now David, now King David was old and stricken in years. How old was he? Does anybody know? He was 70. I was like, man, as I get old, I'm like, that's not that old. My dad's 70. My dad's doing pretty good. I mean, he could probably kick some of you, you know, <laughs> you know. I was like, man, it keeps saying he's really old. I'm going, all right, all right. Anyway, so the Bible says it. Okay, he's, King David was old and stricken in years, and it talks about the fact he had a health issue right there. But his age also affected a lot of the other stuff in this chapter. And one of the things is, go to verse 39. It affected his ability to get his son uh, anointed king. It was, there was some hiccups in that, and there was some resistance. But finally he does. And now we're going to look at, your mind is going to a moment where Solomon finally gets anointed king. That's King Solomon, is David's son. And uh, notice verse 39, And Zadok the priest took an horn of oil out of the tabernacle and anointed Solomon. Finally, he got him anointed. And they blew the trumpet, and all the people said, God save King Solomon. And all the people came up after him. And the people piped with pipes and rejoiced with great joy, so that the earth rent with the sound of them. Now notice there, the rest of it talks about one of his brothers who had tried to hijack being king. Let's just go ahead and read it. I don't plan to, to preach a bunch necessarily from this, but let's just read it. Adonijah, he was a guy who tried to be king. It really, it, it, it's a, uh, improper, improperly. And it says, and Adonijah and all the guests that were with him, he's having a party heard it. They heard the rejoicing of Solomon's anointing. And as they had made an end of feasting, and it says in verse 41, and when, and when Joab heard the sound of the trumpet, he said, Wherefore is this noise of the city being in an uproar? And while he yet spake, behold, Jonathan, the son of Abiathar, the priest, came. 
And Adonijah said unto him, Come in, for thou art a valiant man, and bringest good tidings. And Jonathan answered and said to Adonijah, Verily our Lord King David hath made Solomon king. And the king hath sent with him Zadok the priest, and Nathan the prophet, and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, and the Terethites, and the Pelethites. And they have caused him to ride upon the king's mule. And Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet have anointed him king in Gihon, and they are come up from thence rejoicing, so that the city rang again. This is the noise that ye have heard. And also Solomon sitteth on the throne of the kingdom. And moreover, the king's servants came to bless our Lord King David, saying, God, make the name of Solomon better than thy name, and make his throne greater than thy throne. And the king bowed himself upon the bed. And also thus said the king, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, which hath given me one to sit on my throne this day, mine eyes even mine, mine eyes even seeing it. And all the guests that were with Adonijah were afraid, and rose up and went every man his way. We'll just stop right there. What did we just walk into? We walked into a scene where I showed you how David was aging, and while he was aging, one of his boys took over the country and became a king, and he kind of had his own little cronies and his chariots and all these other things, and he thought he was a legitimate king. He was in the middle of having a feast. Meanwhile, David had a Solomon properly anointed as king, and all the nation pretty much said, yes, Solomon is king. And some person went over to the party of Adonijah, his half-brother, because they're like, what's that noise over there? And Adonijah was told, yeah, your brother just became king, and it's fully endorsed. And so Adonijah's like, okay. And next thing now, Adonijah looks around, all those guys at this party gone. You know, uh, friends are around for a good time, but not some friends are not, not around for a long time. You know, and they took off, and, and he kind of um, kind of has to humble himself to his brother. The whole story here, from chapter one all the way to chap into chapter two, verse eleven, is David's kind of his last things he's doing. As he's getting older, um, what do you think would be the last? You don't have to tell me. What are the last things you might be doing in your last few years? Now, quite frankly, we could die at any moment and not kind of have that natural ending that we anticipate, the normal ending that we think. But if you have kind of a regular type of life like that with no untimely death, what do you imagine yourself doing? You don't have to tell me. Maybe you're retired. You're living in a retirement community. I don't know. You're finally up in the mountains somewhere at your cabin, and uh, I don't know. You're, you're like, maybe you are in the maybe you want to be in the nursing home. I don't know. You know, um, what will it look like? It, maybe you'll be in your own home still, and some of your kids will be coming around. Um, maybe who knows? But think about it. What, what would you like to be? Where would you like to be? David was in a place like that, and yet some pressures came on him on that last, I don't know how long it was, maybe a year at the most. It says he was 70, and he died when he was 70, so it had to be less than a year. David had some things come on him right in his last year of life he had to deal with. See, when I first read this, I'm like, boy, you kind of think, well, I'm just going to kind of go and kind of fade off and be good. You never know what can happen. And God wants us to finish strong wherever we're at. Remember how the Apostle Paul, I finished my course, I've kept the faith. He knew his head was getting chopped off next. I mean, he surged, he finished strong in that sense. And I want to finish my Christian life strong, which means I should work strong every day because I could die at the end of the day. Who knows? 
but especially as I'm getting older, I, don't, I may not be able to do as much, hear as much, you know, and all that, but I want to still maintain a fear of God, a love of God also, and, and, may, and treat people right and, uh, you know, and not blow it and have a good testimony toward, all the way through the end. And I think David kind of slacked off, but I think right at the end he does, he does a surge here. And here's the five points here. I don't know if you got them all on one page, but we'll review the few. Um, he first, we see he has to deal with a health challenge. We preached that already. What his health challenge was was what? He was old, and what was his deal? Yeah, he couldn't stay warm. I'm cold all the time, you know. I'm just always cold. And, and um, uh, so a lot of jokes about that, but let's just move on. Anyways, he's cold, and, and so they help him with that. He has a health challenge. He has a family challenge. In chapter 1, verses 5 to 10, I just told you. Meanwhile, he's got all these kids. He's, he's had too many wives, okay? I think he had five about. And uh, one, of, one of his kids, actually the brother of Absalom, not good pair, uh, Adonijah, like I said, tries to kind of take over the country and become king. And he happened to be one of those sons that David was not as proactive with. Man, whenever I read something like that, I'm like, boy, i got to be proactive with every last one of my kids. What are you up to? It's my job to be nosy. What are you up to? Let me see your phone. Who are you talking to? All right. Okay. What do you want to do? No. No. No, no. I, I, you, I want to say yes on things, but sometimes I want to, you know, um, make no a song. No, no, no. You know, but... David didn't say no to his son, this is the point. That son, he, he didn't say, what are you doing? He never displeased him at any point. So Adonijah was, did not have his, he could have had more proactive parenting. He didn't. But Adonijah takes that and he resume, presumes he can take over the country and he, he does for a short time a certain segment of it. So he had these family challenges he had to deal with and he had to get, bring that back in order even in his old age deal with those family challenges. And he does. He has some help. And then cognitive challenges. Cognitive means just clear thinking and awareness. Clear thinking and awareness. You ever get like that? You know, it's like you're, um, when I was younger, you kids are like this. Some of you kids are like this. It's like, it's just things are so slow. When is pastor going to be done? So slow. You're like, when is this going to be done? You're just like, and you want things to go faster because your brain's thinking and you're fast and you want to go and you're like, it's, it's not Christmas for another five months. You're just like, oh. And for us, old people, we're like, it's already five months away. You know, we're like, things are going fast already. Can somebody put on the brakes? We think things are going fast already it's because we're kind of going slower, like slowing everything down. But David was just, he wasn't as clear. He wasn't as aware of everything. He didn't know what was happening with Adonijah. And people had to come and tell him. He had to have the prophet Nathan. He had to have Bathsheba inform him. Okay, oh, that's what's happening. He, needed, he had those cognitive challenges. And I want to just say this as a two-way two point of application. For us as we get older, we have to make sure we're, we have dependable voices around us that we're relying on. Obviously the Lord, but I'm saying human relationships because people can exploit you. And for us that are younger we got to make sure we are a dependable voice to our parents, to our grandparents, to, to the elderly aunt that you help, and, be, and not exploit them. Because David had both of those. David had a son who was exploiting him, Adonijah. Adonijah knew David wasn't, wasn't paying attention. He had a health issue. 
And Adonijah was an opportunist in the worst sense and took over the country under those conditions. Whereas Nathan and Bathsheba came to help get his attention and awaken him and help him. And that came because of his aging and the cognitive challenges that he had then. Um, and then number, let's do these. These are the last two points here. No, I don't think we preached uh, much. We just said a few things about this next one. Organizational challenges. So, okay, so what's the scene again? The scene is David is... He's, he's dying, or he's, he's, he's aging, he's dealing with this health issue. Bathsheba, one of his wives, and Nathan the prophet inform him, hey, your other son Adonijah has hijacked this thing. Is that what you approve of? Did you approve of Adonijah becoming the next king? Because he's acting like king right now. He even has this guy helping him. He has your nephew, Joab, who was one of your generals. He has one of the priests helping, and these guys, they're all helping him. Is that what you approved of? And David's basically like, no, I did not. And then they said, didn't you swear by the Lord that Solomon is supposed to be the next king? And David basically says, that's exactly right. And so let's get this done. Solomon is going to be the next king. And so what he did was he arranged for Solomon to come, to come forth. David's doing some organizational work. See, again, when you're older, like, I don't want to do any work, man. I don't want to do any work. I want to play shuffleboard. Bingo, maybe, and I'm going to stay up as late as 7 o'clock, you know? You know, you want to do stuff like that. And, uh, but David had, oh, now he's got some organizational stuff to do. Okay, so he, he all right, let's get my mule. There's, there was a, something official about his mule. I don't know. Get my mule. People knew it was David's mule. Get it. Put Solomon on my mule. He's doing a full kingly endorsement here. Get the prophet, Nathan. Get this other priest. Bring him. Bring all this group of Israelites and that other group of Israelites. And let's get a true uh, representation that this is an official endorsement from the king and from God that Solomon is to be the next king. And he organized this thing and made sure it went forward. And David, uh, the Bible says that they, they, they brought him in. They, uh, they, David says, I have appointed, verse 35, Solomon to be king to be ruler over Israel and Judah. So David made that statement, and then they did it. They, they brought, uh, verse 39, Zadok the priest took a horn of oil out of the tabernacle. That was proper. They came to uh, Solomon. They anointed him with the proper anointing oil, and they anointed him, and man, it was a big deal. The people shouted. They blew trumpets. God save King Solomon! And it was so loud, verse 40, all the people came up after him and the people piped with pipes and rejoiced with great joy so that the earth rent with the sound of them. It might mean that it put something on the Richter scale. Can you imagine that? I think that happened in Seattle at one of the Seattle football games one time. They were just so rowdy that they said it you know, affected the Richter scale of, a, of an earthquake or of a tremor. And that's what happens here. They made a big deal of it. What's happening? David's doing... And some organizational work, even in his old age. Look, for us, even when we're old, sometimes there's pivotal decisions that you have to make as you're getting older. Like finishing maybe a will, if you haven't already. Um, having your finances in order. Maybe ministry related. For me as a pastor, I want to make sure that I have somebody in place that at least I've had my part in grooming to take my place. The church has to finally endorse that, of course. But I want to do my part and have an, a protege of some sort. Uh, maybe uh, if you're a business owner, making sure things are right in your business, and you have some, you have some um, recourse 
that the business will go on safely if you're gone and you have good hands that it can go into. My grandma and grandpa Morgan, my mother's parents, they, they seem to do well as far as, you know, their stuff and their will and things like that. They, they went through, I think my grandma went through everything in the house, right? And she's not, my grandma's by some comparisons kind of minimalist. She didn't keep a lot of stuff. Um, but she went through her whole house and just was like, this will do here. This is what will this, this will go here. This will go here. This will go here. And they had a will. My mom has two other siblings and my grandma was the last. My grandpa died first and my grandma Morgan and grandma had all things laid out. And you know what it did? It made it a lot easier on my mom and her siblings when she passed away. Instead of this headache, like, oh, what is all this? And sibling fighting, which I don't think they would have done quite honestly anyways, but it eliminated that possibility. You know, see, we parents, we don't like our kids to fight. We won't even like it when we're dead and gone. We'll, we'll probably hear about it. What? They're fighting down there? Send an angel down there to smack them around, you know. I mean, we don't want our kids to fight. So I'm just saying that the, the, my grandma had it over where it's like, well, this was not, I mean, there was still work to do, but she had, where it wasn't a lot of question marks on her. The house went here, the car went here with this and that and this. And again, there wasn't a lot of assets, but it simplified it so we could just go through this morning, go through the funeral memorial service and just deal with that. And then the months after that, I was like, okay, it wasn't, it wasn't that complex. And, and I admired my grandma for thinking through those things. And she made arrangements for her absence. And so does David. He says, I'm making Solomon king in my stead. He made appointments. Look what it says in verse 35. I have appointed him. The end. I have appointed him to be ruler. He made an appointment, and that appointment certainly did help with that country. Here's the last thing. Um, Chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, speak of this last challenge that David has. And this is an honorable thing. The last challenge, number five, is a discipleship challenge. Now, here's what that means. Not, not a fancy word. It means this. David, before he dies, he brings in, he has many sons, but he brings in the one son, Solomon, who's the, actively the king. And he gives him a, just a quick, I don't know, like discipleship courses for, as a king. And he encourages him, and he helps him, and he gives him some final words to get him ready to f- be king and finish out being king, I should say. And um, so what does it say? Let's read some of it, all right? In verse, 11, verse 1, Now the days of David drew nigh that he should die, and he charged Solomon his son, saying, I go the way of all the earth. That means I'm dying. I'm going to be gone, boy. Be thou strong, therefore, and show thyself a man. Did you hear that? How old is Solomon? You think he's a man? You think he's a man by now? I think so. I, it probably, I can't remember what it says, his age. It says it somewhere. He's a man, but David says, show it. By the way, that's a good lesson, guys. Boys, if you're a boy or a really old boy like me, raise your hand. It should show. You're like, I can't wait for some facial hair. I'm going to be like Brother Rusty. I want it to show. I was teasing one of the Spanish ministry Boys today, Angel Sandoval walked by. I'm like, Angel, look at you, man. He's got this grub. He's like 16. He's got this little short beard. I said, that. he goes to TCS. I said, ah, that's not in the handbook. You better shave. And he's like, yeah, you know. So, but, you know, he will shave because he, he, the school won't let him do that. But, but uh, you know, show yourself a man. Now, in a good sense, not in a sinful, carnal sense, but show yourself a man, Solomon. Step up. Be a man about this. I'm dying. And here's what you need to do. Verse 3, keep the charge of the Lord. 
thy God, to walk in his ways and to keep his statutes and his commandments and his judgments and his testimonies as it is written in the law of Moses that mayest prosper in all that thou doest whithersoever thou turnest thyself. What he's saying is, Solomon, you are under God's law. He knew this. This is the first five books of the Bible, at least at this point. And you know what Moses says about following the Lord and especially about being a king to follow the Lord. And you keep that and you follow him. Keep the charge of the Lord. To walk in his ways. I think the other, um, one of the other passages, it says, Know thou the, the God of thy father. He wanted him to know the Lord and to follow the Lord. What does it say? That thou mayest prosper in all that thou doest, and whithersoever thou turnest thyself. Verse 4, that thou, the Lord may continue his word which he spake concerning me, if thy children take heed to their way, to, to walk uh, before me with truth, in truth, with all their heart and all their soul, then there shall not fail thee, said he, a man on the throne of Israel. So David says, Solomon, show yourself a man. You do what God says in his word and you will prosper. Now that's what, that was true. If God told the Israelites and God told the Israelite kings, if you do my word, it's going to go well. If you forsake my word, it's not going to go well. And his dad's telling him, you do what God's word said. And especially for our family, God said, if you continue this, there's going to always be a Davidic king on the throne. That was a promise God was going to keep. And now, notice, so he, he disciples him. He encourages him. He's seven. He's going to die here soon. And he's surging. He's giving his best word to his son here. And that's what, by the way, as a pause, whether we're old or young fathers, we want to give our best moments, our best little encouragements to our boys and our girls as we're able to. Um, I've had moments with my kids, and, I, and, and I, we got five more, obviously, in the house. But our first four, there was moments where I was having a little bit of struggle with them, and usually before the last year or two before they went out of the house. And, and I said, listen, man, I, or girls sometimes, I said, I am going to give you my best I want you to know, even if you're irritated with me, I'm going to give you my best love. I'm giving you my best discipline. I'm giving you my best reproves and rebukes and advice. I'm going to give you my best. Even if you don't like it, I want you to know I'm trying with you. And I want them to see I love them enough to do that. And David's doing this at the end here with his son. He's saying, keep the charge of the Lord. And next, notice here now, what he does now is he's warning. He says, watch out for these two guys. And this guy, he's a good guy. Notice what he says in verse 5. Moreover, thou knowest also what Joab the son of Zariah did to me, and what he did to the two captains of the hosts of Israel, and to Abner the son of Ner, and unto Amasa the son of Jether, whom he slew and shed blood of war and peace, and put the blood of war upon his girdle that was about his loins, and, his, and in his shoes that were on his feet. Do therefore according to thy wisdom. Let not his whore head go down to the, ground, to the grave in peace." what David's saying to Solomon. Solomon, you know Joab. Joab was actually David's nephew. He was the son of David's sister. But Joab was a really good general, but he went rogue. And he did some bad stuff. He, made some, he did some ill, he did some unauthorized murders. And he shouldn't have done it. And, and David said, hey, when I'm gone, Solomon, you're wise. You know what to do with that guy. And so he warns him about him. He tells him, you just make sure that justice is recompensed on this guy right here. Don't let him, don't let this guy keep going. He, he's going to be bad news. That's, by the way, Ken, again, we should listen to our parents. Some, not everything a parent says is like divine, an oracle of God. It's not. Sometimes people are wrong. 
But we should at least listen to the warnings and admonitions of parents as they get older. And even maybe sometimes before, even sometimes before people die, I don't know what it is. It's like truth comes bubbling to the top. And you need that. And I think David's saying, watch out for him and take care. Take, you have the wisdom to know how to address that um, unpunished man. And, and, and Solomon does take care of him. And so here he is. He's discipling him and warning him of some guy. Then he says, here's a good guy. Look at verse 7 and his uh, family here. But show kindness, verse 7, unto the sons of uh, uh, Barzillai, the Gileadite, and let them be of those that eat at thy table. For so they came to me when I fled because of Absalom, thy brother. David was in a lot of crazy places in his life. And one of the times was when he had to humble himself and step down from the throne because of a, of a coup by one of the other boys. And when he did, he found some hospitality with this other particular family. And he didn't forget it. And he tells Solomon, Solomon, you, you, you show kindness to them. Don't, these guys deserve a handshake. These guys deserve some good treatment. And so he's telling them that. And then, and let's move along, verse 8, here's another one. Here's a, a, a guy you need to watch out for, he says, verse 8. Behold, thou hast with thee Shimei, the son of Gerai, Benjamite, of Beharum, of Bahurum, which cursed me with a grievous curse in the day I went to Mahanaim. But when he came down to meet me at Jordan, I swear to him by the Lord, saying, I will not put thee to death with the sword. Now, therefore, hold him not guiltless, for thou art a wise man, and knowest what thou oughtest to do unto him. But his whorehead bring, down, bring thou down to the, to the grave with blood. We'll stop right there. So David, again, is telling Solomon, Solomon's going to have to deal with these people. And he's giving them some final things that, you know, this is what's happening in my ministration. You need to know some of the baggage here. This guy's good. Watch out for that guy. You need to take care of him. And this other guy, you need to take care of him. This last guy... Um, Shimei, it was a weird thing. David, when David was escaping one time, this guy related to Saul was like throwing rocks at him and cursing him and all that, and David didn't respond to him. In fact, one of David's men says, why don't we chop this guy's head off right now? Can you just let us do that, please? And David said, no. Maybe the Lord told him to do that to me. That's what David said. But now David, I think, realizes this is not going to be good to let this guy go unaddressed. And so this guy who was caustic toward David later on comes and tries to, oh, I'm sorry, king. I'm sorry. Please don't kill me. And David made an oath. I'm not, I'm not going to kill you. That's basically what he said. And so he told Solomon, Solomon, listen. Um, he, I'm sorry. David's over here. Solomon's over here. Solomon, um, I told him I wouldn't kill him, but that doesn't mean you can't. That's what he said. So you know what to do. And so Solomon deals with him. Again, you got to think of this. This is governmental stuff. They, they have to deal with social, true social justice of people going rogue in their society and somebody thinking that they can get away with murder. So this isn't, church, this isn't churchy stuff. This is stuff that's relating to believers who are running a country. Like, we can't let that murderer go unaddressed and that guy go unaddressed. And so David said, you take care of him. And Solomon does take care of him later on. In fact, the guy actually hurts himself if you were to follow the whole story. My whole point in this is that David prepares a successor. He gives his son these encouragements while he can to prepare him. This is one thing I realize is that um, I cannot, um, I can have a limited say on, on the future only in the sense that that my influence on my kids 
goes through. In other words, I can, I can affect the next generation in the sense that as much as I can influence my boys and my girls and teach them and train them and influence them, in that way I can affect the next generation. And in a way, I'm obligated to do that and to try, and so are you, to affect the next generation. That's what David's doing. He's trying to do what he can to prepare the next generation. Um, it's interesting. I, I, uh, my dad and I, we painted cars. Of course, many of you know that. <clears throat> and um, one of the things that happens when we paint, I, my dad was good, really good painter, and I, I wouldn't say I was as good as him. I did focus more on other things, and then I would paint. But one of the things that we both kind of were, were cautious about was, here's the deal. You get a car. You get a car all, you do all the body work and stuff, and you get it all final sanded and, and cleaned, and then you mask off all the windows and everything and, and all the other things, and you pull it in a nice, clean paint booth, you know, and it's, it's supposed to be clean at least, and have some lighting like this all around on the sides and so, so on, and you get in this paint booth, and the paint booth has like a fan, and, and it kind of draws air, has a big kind of a filtering thing on the back side, and it'll draw air through it and up through this uh, stack, and it's supposed to keep it moving, you know, and, you, and you, we're filtering the, the air as much as we can. But anyways, you get a car in there, and it's all ready to paint, and, and you know, me or my dad, we'd do a paint job, and you'd put, you'd put a kind of a sealer coat first, let it dry, and take your time, you know, and then, and then you put the base coat. That's the color. You'd, you'd, spray, you'd spray the whole car the certain color you'd like, say red. And he'd paint it all and go over the whole thing. And then usually we did these two-stage paints that involved the clear coat. So the last thing you do is clear coat. Clear coat, give it that gloss, that shine, a little bit of depth to it. And so, so then after the, the, the base coat is dried enough, you know, we'd come back in and, and start doing clear coat. Maybe like three coats. It depends on the type of product we had, but maybe about three coats of clear. And you do one coat. You wouldn't do too heavy. You just kind of do a, a medium coat on that first coat, do the whole thing, and then let it set for a little bit, and then kind of, we call it tack up. It wasn't hard. It wasn't wet. It was just kind of tacky. Then you go and you do your second coat like that, another medium coat, and go over the whole thing, and, and then let that tack up a little bit, and then you do your last coat, and that was the one, the last coat. <laughs> so, because what can happen was, you're like, this is looking good. This is looking good, and you could do your last coat, usually a little bit wetter, We'd paint that whole thing, that last coat of clear, and just be coated. And then sometimes you'd see a spot, like, oh, wait, 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 oh, wait, 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 let me do And you kind of double up, and you don't realize I'm tripling up, and then you're like, okay, I think I'm okay. And you go out of the paint booth, and you come out, and you come back in, and you go like, oh, man, it's running. I got runs in that thing, you know, and it's these little drips that are coming down. Now, it's not the end of the world, but it just costs us a lot of more, few hours of work, I should say. And you're like, oh man, I wanted to, you know, I wanted to, <laughs> I wanted to, I wanted to just finish it without having any runs and just be perfect, you know, and have it like that. And sometimes that's what I was always felt like on edge toward the last coat, the last coat. If we get the last coat good, we're good. And sometimes in life we can, you can really get to the end of life, and or as you get older, and you can do something and really blow it, and really blow it. You know, I've been a Christian for 50 years. Okay, be a good one today, and then be a good one tomorrow, and then the tomorrow, by God's grace, of course, we walk not after the flesh, we have to walk in the Spirit, and always 
let your Christianity be renewed day by day till the day you die. And I think that's, again, one of the things, kind of the overall thing we see here with David. He had to finish strong. Had to finish strong towards the end. And I think he honored God that way. Think about this. We know kind of two, David's two big sins, right? The two big ones were Bathsheba, and then he shouldn't have numbered the people that one time. But you know, ever, all from here on out, every, every king that comes, so-and-so came to the throne. What usually happens when he's, when he's said to be bad? He walked not in the counsel of the Lord or whatever. But when it's said that he's good, it says he did like King David. And David becomes like a great example for, for, for the rest of the kings. And it's, you know, it's, it's not because he was, you know, perfect in every sense, but he would rebound and follow the Lord and do what's right towards the end. And I think I see it even in his old age. So the point is, let's be wise even unto death. Let's make wise decisions even in our old age and, and bring people in our life to help us do that. And as for our parents and grandparents, let's be those people to help our people our parents get through old age well and help them and support them and serve them like we ought to, like we see in this story.